Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the forgotten origins of fairy tales. The podcast where I look into the truth behind our best loved children's stories. But this week isn't so much a children's story as we honour Halloween. Ooh. And we're looking into the tale and real-life story of the world's most notorious highwayman, Dick Turpin. Turpin has inspired countless films, novels, poems, cartoons and tourist attractions and is still referred to as one of the most romantic characters of Victorian literature. But was the real Turpin such a looming figure? Or has he acquired some undeserved fame since his execution? Well, as always, let's start with the best-known story of Turpin. And to spice things up a bit, that's not a novel summary, but rather a poem. The wind was a torrent of darkness among the gusty trees. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor. And the highwayman came riding, riding riding. The highwayman came riding up to the old inn door. He'd a French cocked hat on his forehead, a bunch of lace at his chin, a coat of claret velvet and breeches as brown doe skin. They fitted with never a wrinkle, his boots were up to the thigh, and he rode with a jewelled twinkle, his pistol butts a twinkle, his rapier hilt a twinkle under the jewelled sky. Over the cobbles he clattered and clashed in the dark inn-yard, and he tapped with his whip on the shutter, but all was locked and barred. He whistled a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, plaiting a dark red love-knot in her long black hair. And dark in the old inn-yard a stable wicket creaked, where Tim, the Ulster listener, his face was white and peaked. His eyes were hollows of madness, his hair a mouldy hay, but he loved the landlord's daughter, the landlord's red-lipped daughter. As dumb as a dog he listened, and he heard the robber say, One kiss, my bonny sweetheart, I'm after a prize tonight, but I shall be back with the yellow gold before the morning light. Yet if they press me sharply and harry me through the day, then look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight, I'll come to thee by moonlight, should hell bard my way. He rose upright in the stirrups, he scarce could reach her hand, but she loosened her hair i' the casement, his face burnt like a brand as the black cascade of perfume came tumbling over her breast, and he kissed its waves in the moonlight, 
oh sweet black waves in the moonlight. Then he tugged at his rein in the moonlight and galloped away to the west. He did not come in the dawning, he did not come at noon, and out o'er oh, the tawny sunset before the rise of the moon, when the road was a gypsy's ribbon, looping the purple moor, a red-coat troop came marching, marching, marching. King George's men came marching up to the old inn door. They said no word to the landlord, they drank his ale instead, but they gagged his daughter and bound her to the foot of her narrow bed. Two of them knelt at her casement, their muskets at their side. There was death at every window, and hell at one dark window, for Bess could see through the casement the road that he would ride. They had tied her up to attention with many a sniggering jest. They bound a musket beside her with the barrel beneath her breast. Now keep good watch, and they kissed her. She heard the dead man say, Look for me by moonlight, watch for me by moonlight. I'll come to thee by moonlight, though hell should bar the way. She twisted her hands beside her, but all the knots held good. She writhed her hands till her fingers were wet with sweat and blood. They stretched and strained in the darkness, and the hours crawled by like years, till now on the stroke of midnight, cold on the stroke of midnight, the tip of her finger touched it. The trigger was hers at last. The tip of her finger touched it. She strove no more for rest. Up she stood to attention with the barrel beneath her breast. She would not risk their hearing. She would not strive again. For the road lay bare in the moonlight. Blank and bare in the moonlight. And the blood of her veins in the moonlight throbbed for her love's refrain. Cluck, 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 cluck. Had they heard it? The horse hoofs ringing clear. Cluck, 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 cluck in the distance. Were they deaf that they did not hear? Down the ribbon of moonlight, over the brow of the hill, the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The redcoats looked to their priming. She stood up straight and still. Cluck, cluck in the frosty silence. Cluck, cluck in the echoing night. Nearer he came and nearer. Her face was like a light. Her eyes grew wide for a moment. She drew one last deep breath. Then her finger moved into the moonlight. Her musket shattered the moonlight, shattered her breast in the moonlight, and warned him with her death. He turned, he spurred to the west. He did not know who stood bowed, with her head o'er the musket, drenched with her own red blood. Not till the dawn he heard it. His face grew grey to hear how Bess, the landlord's daughter, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, had watched for her love in the moonlight and died in the darkness there. Back he spurred like a madman, shrieking a curse to the sky, with the white road smoking behind him and his rapier brandished high. Blood red were his spurs in the golden noon, wine red was his velvet coat. When they shot him down on the highway, down like a dog in the highway, and he lay in his blood on the highway, with a bunch of lace at his throat. And still of the winter's night, they say when the wind is in the trees, when the moon is a ghostly galleon tossed upon a cloudy sea, 
When the road is a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor, a highwayman comes riding, riding, riding. A highwayman comes riding up to the old inn door. Over the cobbles he clatters and clangs in the dark inn yard, and he taps with his whip on the shutters, but all is locked and barred. He whistles a tune to the window, and who should be waiting there but the landlord's black-eyed daughter, Bess, the landlord's black-eyed daughter, plaiting a red love knot in her long black hair. So this poem was written by English poet Alfred Noyes and published in 1906. Noyes was better known for his sea ballads than romantic literature, but this piece is by far his best-known work today. So where did Noyes get his inspiration for this poem? Was it all fiction or were there elements of truth? Well, the character of Dick Turpin became popularised in 1834 after novelist William Harrodson Ainsworth published his fictional work, Rookwood. Now, this was a kind of murder mystery whodunit situation based in 1757. And the story follows a cursed love triangle and is filled with murders, gossip, cheating and, you know, general debauchery. But the character that really caught the public's attention was the highwayman, introduced into the narrative about midway through. Initially, as a gentleman who went by the name Palmer. Now remember that name. But Palmer was soon revealed to be Dick Turpin, a local outlaw, described as a dark-haired, dashing brute who made a living off of stealing from wealthy men, and he conjured up a kind of daring romanticism in the minds of the Victorian public. After his plan to trick the protagonist fails, he escapes riding his jet-black horse, Black Bess, and rode 200 miles from York to London, a feat Turpin is still associated with today. So, who was the real Dick Turpin, and why did Ainsworth decide to base a character on him? Well, Richard Turpin was born on the 21st of September 1705 at the Bluebell Inn in Hempstead, Essex. His parents were John Turpin, a former butcher, and Elizabeth, sorry, Mary Elizabeth Pimenta. Turpin became an apprentice butcher to follow in his father's footsteps, but there's no record to say that he was particularly bright. And in 1725, the young Turpin married Elizabeth Millington and moved to Buckhurst Hill, still in Essex. But life as a butcher didn't seem to suit Turpin, and he became very bored of this mundane lifestyle. And in 1730, he became a member of the violent Gregory Gang and found a more profitable career in the crime of poaching deer and committing violent burglaries. One night in 1735, members of the Gregory gang were caught and arrested, but Turpin managed to escape and thought he'd try his hand at being a highwayman. His new profession proved to be very fruitful and lucrative until in 1737 when he accidentally shot and killed one of his two accomplices in a robbery gone wrong. He panicked and fled the scene. Now, it's important to remember that this first kill was a complete accident and involved another criminal rather than the subject of the robbery. 
The second fatality came on the 4th of May 1737 and this was Thomas Morris, a servant of one of the forest keepers and he was shot and killed attempting to capture Turpin. Again, Turpin fled and moved to Yorkshire and changed his name to John Palmer, which is where Ainsworth got the name of Turpin's character to begin with in his novel. So in June of 1737, an article emerged in the Gentleman's Magazine, a public appeal to find the killer of Tom Morris. The description of the highwayman was about five foot nine inches high, brown complexion, very much marked with the smallpox, his cheekbones broad, his face thinner towards the bottom, his visage short, pretty upright and pretty broad about the shoulders. But Turpin, now Palmer, narrowly avoided capture. On the 2nd of October 1737, having shot his landlord's cockerel, Turpin threatened to kill his landlord and was then arrested by the parish constable at Brow, near Hull, and was sent to Beverly House of Correction. Now, this is where it gets really interesting and a bit bizarre. So, on the 16th of October 1738, Turpin was moved to York Castle after it was found out that he was a horse thief. And he wrote a letter to his brother-in-law, who was married to his sister Dorothy, asking for help. But the, re- but the brother refused to pay the sixpence due on the letter. So, he never received it. But now... When the letter returned to the local post office, it was read by Turpin's old schoolmaster, James Smith, and he recognised his handwriting from his school days, completely blowing his cover. So Palmer was now identified as Turpin. On the 7th of April, 1739, Turpin was executed for horse theft and murder. So, personally, I find the real-life story of Turpin fascinating, but I don't think anyone would argue he was a dashing, handsome, mysterious and brave criminal. I mean, he had a couple of accidents that resulted in death, ran away from any sign of trouble, and got grassed on by the local post office. Not what I would call a romantic hero. He didn't even have a horse called Black Bess, for goodness sake. So why, oh why, did Ainsworth choose Turpin as the basis of his character? Well, from what we can divulge, Ainsworth actually used a multitude of highwaymen to create the character in his novel. Most notably, Swift Nick Nevelson. Nevelson was seen by many to be a gentleman, even though he was still robbing people. He was charming, usually very polite during his robberies, and very rarely used violence. He was also reportedly incredibly handsome, and many women swooned in his presence. I mean, I feel like that's probably a bit of of an exaggeration, but, you know, we get the idea. In contrast, the real Turpin was boorish, violent, clumsy, and not a pretty sight as he was covered in pox scars. So Ainsworth cherry-picked parts of his character from various highwaymen whose records he could get his hands on, and Turpin's name and location seem to have been the only parts the author took from this criminal. Not really surprising. But because he really did exist, many assume that this dashing, romantic ne'er-do-well was the real Dick Turpin, 
And as a result, he's achieved an undeserved level of popularity and praise in the last 200 years. So that's all for this week. I hope you found it interesting. So after this week, I am taking two weeks off, but then I am going to be back with a lot of Christmas fairy tales, which we're going to explore. If you enjoy this podcast, why not check out my Instagram page, Forgotten Origins Podcast. That's all one word, Forgotten Origins Podcast. And as always, please recommend this podcast to other family and friends you think might also enjoy it.